This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. A few weeks ago, I started a two-part lesson on study to show thyself approved. I delivered the first part of it, and then if I remember correctly, we had bad weather. And uh, I think the roads were covered with a little bit of snow or ice, and I, we called off service that Sunday, and that was the Sunday I was to finish up the study, so I haven't gotten to do that yet. So we will do that, Lord willing, today, and uh, this is the study that you see in front of you. Uh, I'll talk about the first study here in just a minute, but let's notice the opening scripture. It's right under the title, and then the scripture for it are on the back side. And since I've covered the things in the first two columns there, we're going to be really studying today out of this third column there on the right. And all of the scriptures related to it now are on the back side and typed out for you. But in 2 Timothy 2 and 15, Paul said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we talked about the fact that we're commanded to study. Now some translations render that instead of study, they translate it, give diligence to show thyself approved. But of course any giving of diligence would certainly involve study, and so I don't have any problem with the King James translation. Study to show thyself approved. He tells us why to study here. He says to study... And then he says that it's not to win an argument, it's not to show off what we know, it's not to prove somebody wrong. You know, if you know your Bible well, winning a religious discussion or an argument is not a problem. You can win those all day long if you just know what the Bible teaches. That's not why he told Timothy to study. He was to study to show himself approved unto God, to have God's approval. And then he said something else, that once we get knowledge, once we've studied and, and stand approved with God in that area, he says we're to be a workman, that is, we're to take that knowledge and share it. Because there are a lot of people today that are confused in religious matters about worship and the church and salvation and just any number of doctrines and any number of things, and they need help. They don't need criticism, they don't need someone to poke fun at them. They don't need someone to think that they're holier than thou because they know more. They need a helping hand. They need to know the truth. And we are to study and learn that truth, and then we're to share it and be a workman. And then he said, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And I related once a story that happened to me because there was a fellow in my in the office there where I worked at that time that a very dear friend of mine, and he was religious, and I wanted to help him. I knew that he didn't have the truth, especially on how to be saved. So I set up a home study with him, but I didn't know this. He had brought another fellow with him, a fellow that went to church with him, and this guy knew their doctrine quite well. I was just a new Christian, and I knew I had the truth and and, uh, such things, but they brought up an argument or two that I couldn't answer. And I left there that night ashamed. I knew what Paul meant here when he told Timothy, a workman that needed not to be ashamed. I felt so ashamed that night that I wasn't able to deal with everything I had to confront. And I told myself that night, this is not going to happen again. I'm going to be prepared. When I set these studies up, 
I'm going to know what I'm talking about, where I can help this person, and where I can answer these questions. And I don't know how well I've obeyed that determination, but I've always tried to do that. And uh, I do know that if we're not prepared and we try to spread the word and teach others, we will be put to shame, and we, won't, we don't want that to happen. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, and then he said rightly dividing. Some translations say handling aright the word of truth. The Bible's got to be handled properly. It's got to be rightly divided. We've got to know the covenants that are in effect, what law applies where, to whom it applies, just all kinds of different things like that. And so there's a certain division to be made in the Word. We've also got to know where to find things in the Word, and that takes study. I mentioned that uh, if there used to be a time if you were a member of the Church of Christ, it was just automatically uh, considered that you knew a lot about the Bible. We had that reputation at one time, and I, I mentioned an example of that. There was a court trial, actually, this, this is a true story, that occurred in Tennessee. Uh, as you know, the practice in a lot of courtrooms is to have witnesses lay their hands on the Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I'm not sanctioning that practice. I'm just saying that is the practice in many of our courtrooms. But this courtroom there in Tennessee that day had misplaced their Bible. They didn't have one. They didn't know how they were going to swear their witnesses in. Finally, someone said, some court official said, is there a member of the Church of Christ in here? And there was a fellow in the audience that raised his hand, and he said, come on up here, sir. We will have these people lay their hands on you. These folks are walking Bibles. And I'm not sanctioning that either. I'm telling you that was the reputation that a member of the church had back in those days. They were known to know the Bible, that they were good students of the Bible, and people around trusted that fact. And so a lot of times people at work or those in life, maybe even family at times, would come to a member of the church with a Bible question because they trusted that very likely that member of the Church of Christ had been studying the Bible and could answer that question, could actually help them. And I, uh, I encouraged us to have that same reputation. We need to have that kind of reputation that folks will approach us because they know we are students of God's Word and we know quite a bit about the Bible. I want to commend this group. I don't have one complaint to make about this congregation in regard to Bible study. I'm sure that perhaps all of us can improve in that area, but nonetheless, I'm very proud of the congregation here. And all I have to do is go back to the days, if you'll remember, before we ever started this congregation. When, uh, when we were meeting in a coffee shop in Bentonville there at Kennedy's. And there weren't very many of us. What were there, eight or ten perhaps? But there was no systematic study. And so we talked a little bit about that one evening and decided that we would make a, a determination to be more just more systematic in, in what we studied, just really to get down into the Word. Because what was going on in the coffee shop was just a telling of personal things and, well, what happened to you this week or what idea did you come up with this week? And somebody would relate a personal experience or a verse and, and it was fine, but it just wasn't getting us anywhere and we weren't learning the Bible. 
So we began to study the Bible, and fortunately David had a place for us to meet, and we went over to, a, as you know, a real estate office and started meeting there. And there weren't very many of us, just a handful. We would have a meal together and then study. And it was a very wonderful thing. And we've studied everything, didn't we? We began to grow. Folks began to come and join our group. Before long, we had 25 or 30. And of course, that got Ben and David and some others of us talking about starting a congregation because we basically had one. And they were young and full of zeal and and we were studying. We, we studied what? The book of Daniel. We studied premillennialism. We've studied questions like uh, what is the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We've studied miraculous gifts. We studied all different kinds of doctrines. We did church history. And uh, we've, just, we've just been into God's Word in so many ways. And we did that for several years. And that's resulted, of course, now in the formation of this congregation. David and Ben and others that teach here now are, are teaching. We've got uh, Jesse, Miguel, that uh, had not been speaking, that are giving lessons now. You see, that's growth and knowledge. There's just been a lot of wonderful things happen. And then on the female side of things, Lana and a lot of you women have organized a little bit, and you guys meet and have your studies as women and, and uh, deal with subjects that are that are interesting and important to you and you're able to discuss those things and I've noticed that some of the ladies are even leading that study that have probably never done that before in your life. That's growth. That's growth in knowledge and I am so proud of this church for that and I just want to commend everybody and encourage us to just keep growing. I know several of us are doing private studies on the side with some of you and so we're studying a lot during the week and in groups like that as we have an occasion to get together. And it's wonderful what's happening. And you can just see the growth. You see it in the spiritual lives of people. And you see it in their knowledge levels. And it's, it's just a wonderful thing. Now in the first part of our study, if you want to notice the outline, we, we talked there, especially in that, that middle column, some things that will hinder our study. And I, I talked to you about reading the Bible without intending to understand it. I can't go back for those of you that missed the first study and give you everything that we said in the first lesson, but there are a lot of people just read the Bible out of a sense of duty. They have no intention of learning what it says. They're, they have no system of study before them. They just read, maybe read a chapter, and they'll randomly do that sometimes. They'll just flop the Bible open and wherever it falls, they may just start reading there. Others will read the Bible through, maybe take a year and read it all the way through, and they've done that several times, but they never did really intend to study it or understand it, and so they have a lot of trivia and some surface knowledge, but they don't have a whole lot of knowledge of the Bible. But we must search the Scriptures, and that was the point that I made with you in that first study. Really get down in them and search the scriptures and not just read the Bible because you can't learn it just reading. Secondly, we talked about another hindrance and that's, that's going to the Bible to prove our preconceived ideas. I mean, they're just people that uh, they have their mind made up when they go to the Bible what, it, what it's about. And then they try to make the Bible fit in and that's especially true 
in prophetic books like Daniel, like the book of Revelation and others that are highly symbolic. I mean, they've got an idea of uh, Armageddon or some kind of beast or future antichrist or whatever their concept is, and they'll try to make the Bible fit that. And of course, it doesn't fit that because the Bible is the truth. We can't go to the Bible with our mind made up what it's saying. We go to the Bible to get what it's saying. And so if we just go as uh, truth seekers, we just tell the Lord, Lord, I don't care what the truth is, I want it. If I'm in error, Lord, I'll change. I'll give that up because I just want whatever your word says. And if we have that kind of attitude, of course, we'll find the truth. Now, if we don't, we will wind up doing what a vast number of people do today, and that's believing religious lies. And the Bible warns us against believing a lie there in 2 Thessalonians 2, doesn't it? And then we talked about another hindrance, and that's rejecting the word in order to be thought well by other people. You know, we all want the applause of people. We want the latitude of people. And there's nothing wrong with that to a certain extent, depending upon our motive. But uh, we cannot give up God's word in order to be thought well of by a church, keep our standing with them or with our family even, trying to please them. You cannot please your father and mother and, and others in the family and please the Lord usually because they're going to deviate from God's Word, and where they do, we've got to go with whatever the Word says. And that creates problems within families. And I know people that will not give up churches that they attend because they've always attended there, and so has their family members. And it doesn't matter that the Bible says their worship is wrong, or their doctrine is wrong, or the plan of salvation they teach is wrong. They won't give it up. Because, you see, they love the praise of people in that church. And I, I cited the chief rulers of Christ's day because the Bible speaks of them in John 12. And remember it says that nevertheless among the chief rulers also many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they be put out of the synagogues. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And that's a great problem, and that's a hindrance. So all of those things we talked about. And then we talked about uh, things that will help our study. I talked to you about hindrances and then some things that will help. One of them was to pick a good translation of the Bible. There are a lot of bad translations. There are a lot of, instead of versions, they are perversions. And uh, so just because, uh, just because a purported Bible reads easily, you'll... Sometimes pick up a Bible and it'll say easy read, easy read version or whatever it is. Just because something is easily read doesn't mean that it's accurately translated. And so we need to look for accurate translations. If you're not sure what to get, talk to somebody that might have some knowledge in that area of what might be a very accurate translation for you to study out of. And then, of course, if you find words that you don't know the meaning of, look them up. Look, up. look up the meaning of words and don't just assume that you know what something means. I cited, for example, the word propitiation there in Romans 3.25. If we don't know what propitiation means, we won't understand that passage. So stop and look up that word. And if you need books, 
that will help you define those words. We can suggest books that will, will help you and we'll, we'll show you how to build your library very cheaply because you can let others build it. Birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas, uh, have your book list. People are always looking for a gift. What are they going to buy you? Or what will they get this person or that? Have your book list and suggest the book that you might like to have and they'll thank you for that. They, they are looking for ideas. And they'll actually buy your books. And you can build a library really pretty fast and fairly, fairly economical that way, you see. So these are just things we can help you with. Uh, study all the passages that pertain to a subject we talked about. If the Bible has one, more than one record of something, get all the records and combine them and take the details out of every record and you'll get the total truth. And then we talked about uh, reading before and after a passage, not just, not just reading a statement, but seeing what context it's in. Going a few verses back if you have to and see what was said there. Or going a few verses afterward to see what was said there. And not just take the statement itself, but check, check the scriptures that are all around it on either side, you see. And that will keep you in proper context. There's just any number of things like that. So we've talked about things that will hinder our study and things that will help our study. Now this morning, as we finish this two-part, I want to talk to you about blessings that we can obtain through a study of God's Word because God never commands something of us that He doesn't bless us for obeying. And that's true of study. And so let's talk about several things that are just blessings that result from our study of the Scriptures. Number one, this Bible provides food for our souls. And these Scriptures now are on the back side of your chart. 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. The Bible says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. So our growth, our spiritual growth, is directly related to our knowledge of God's Word. And so we're to desire that Word, you see. Desire it just like a baby desires milk. When we start out our Christian walk, of course, we're not... We're not able to understand very deep things. It will take a little time. We've got to have some background for some of those things. And uh, that comes about by just taking what we can eat. You know, a baby just doesn't eat steak. We don't try to feed it steak. It's not ready for things like this. But we feed it what it needs, what it can take in, and that's the milk. And of course... There is a milk of the Word here that's not just meat. More simple things. And that's what we need to be concerned about as we start off. And then we'll take in deeper things. And our diet of God's Word will have more variety to it, if you will. It'll have deep things, uh, shallow things, all things in between. We're commanded to grow in 2 Peter 3.18. The Bible says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is not an option. We, we are to grow in our knowledge. Grow in faith, grow in knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And that takes study. And this Word is the source for that. We have no problem feeding our bodies, do we? 
when we dismiss here today, we'll all hunt a place to eat or we'll go home and have something, but we're going to feed the physical body and our soul needs that and it needs a lot of it in order to grow. I have found my weakest times in the Christian life are times I wasn't studying as much as I should have. You know, Christianity, brethren, is, is really just basics. It's like football. You know, football is blocking and tackling and kicking. We've heard that all of our lives, haven't we? But football is just basics. And you watch the teams that win, that win titles. They are teams that do those things well, just the basic things. They block and they tackle. And they're, they're good in the kicking game and such things. And usually they are the team that wins. Christianity has just basics. Reading the Bible, prayer, assembling ourselves and encouraging each other. Those are just basics. You can't be a strong Christian without study, without prayer, without coming to church. Not a strong Christian. You just can't. And uh, so... This is the way the, the Bible is when it comes to our, our need to feed our souls. It is that food, and we're to desire it. Secondly, this book provides a mirror for our soul. How many of you got up this morning and looked in the mirror? How'd you like what you saw? <laughs> doesn't look too good sometimes of a morning, does it? Sometimes on some of us, it doesn't look good any time of day, but... But in the morning especially, because overnight the eyes have crusted up a little bit and, and they're matted and we've got some wrinkles and creases from where we lay on the pillow and, you know, all, all kinds of things have happened overnight. Makeup disappeared, probably on purpose. Some kind of growth came out on a man's face overnight that might not have been there as much the night before. So he's got to get rid of that. And you know the whole scheme, don't you? We've got to brush the teeth and there's all kinds of things that have to be done. Now, we can look in a mirror like that and we can look at ourselves and say, man, what happened? And we can just go on our way and we'll be, we'll be that condition all day long. We'll be in that shape. Or we can stand there at that mirror and we can make some corrections that are needed. We can shave. You can apply makeup if needed. You can do different things with the hair or whatever. There's just things that we often do to make our appearance better, and then we go on out for our day, don't we? The Bible's that way. It's a mirror for our souls. Let's read James 1 now, verse 21 to 25. James says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. There's the mirror, see. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So we can't just look in the mirror and walk away. We'll walk away just like we appear. 
But if we'll stay at God's Word and look into it, it will show us what kind of shape we're in, just like a mirror does. And if we're lukewarm, we'll see that in that Word. If we're uh, in error on our, on our doctrine, it will point out that error. We will see ourselves, in other words, as God sees us. And looking at ourselves as God sees us, sometimes what God sees is just not very good. And we can make those corrections, you see, by staying with the Word and looking into it, seeing what it says, and then doing what it says. He said to be doers of the Word. There's an interesting word that James used. I want to share a story and an illustration with, with you. It's this word meekness. Did you notice that in verse 21? Lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. The word is to be received with meekness. Now, sometimes we think of meekness as timidity, as somebody just kind of, you know, so, so uh, kind of self-absorbed and everything, just so afraid of confronting anyone, and we think of a meek little lady, but this is not the word here. This is a word originally that was used, I'm told, to describe wild animals, the taming of, of animals. If you had an animal that was tamed, it was meek. In other words, it was submissive, and that's the thought here in James. Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with submissiveness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now see, that fits the context. Because he goes on and says, be ye doers of the word. We're to submit to the word. And this is the idea right here. I've told this story a few times. Maybe some of you have heard me talk about it. But when I was in junior high school, uh, sometimes we would just have a, an activity where they would let the classes all out. And we'd go to the gymnasium or to the study hall, to the auditorium. And there would be some kind of a presentation or entertainment for us. I guess they saw that as part of their duty in educating us was every now and then to make school a little bit more fun and bring us some kind of um, entertainment of some kind. And in this instance here, they gathered every one of us at the gymnasium. And uh, this fellow came in with a wrestling bear. He had a bear and it was muzzled. And uh, he had a bunch of mats down on the floor, mats that we use for tumbling and for P.E. and such things. And uh, he, he asked for a volunteer to step out from that audience and wrestle the bear. He said, I will give you a dollar bill. And my hand went up immediately. I was a, probably a ninth grader, weighed about 125 pounds. I don't know what the bear weighed, but he outweighed me. And it wasn't a matter of weight. You say, well, Pat, you were pretty brave back then. No, I wasn't brave at all. I wanted the dollar. I was covetous. Because a dollar bill at that time, and I'm going to tell a little bit about my age, but it bought quite a bit more than it does today. That dollar bill would buy me four gallons of gas. How about that? That dollar bill would buy me 20 ice cream cones, kids. 20, nickel apiece. It would buy me a hundred pieces of bazooka bubblegum. How about that? Now I can give a dollar sometimes and be lucky to get ten. 
So it just bought a whole lot of things. I could buy 20 candy bars. I mean, it just, it just did a lot. A dollar bill was worth something at that time, and they were hard to get. And uh, so nonetheless, I stepped out. And uh, so I had a plan for that bear. I had to think up something right quick. I was going to whip him. And uh, I decided that I would grab that thing by the shoulders or arms, whatever I could grab, and I'd run a foot in there behind him and shove him over my leg here and trip him up and try to get down on him and see if I could pin that thing. And it uh, sounded like a good plan to me. Problem was, I stuck my leg behind him all right when he let us go and had my hands on the bear, but he had his hands on me and when I pushed to trip him and take him over, he took me over. He was so much stronger. And he pinned me. But his owner said to the bear, let the boy up. Thankfully. This was a submissive bear. <laughs> that's, that's the point. Here's the word here. He was meek. He was tame. And he got up off of me and let me up. This, this, this wrestling match lasted about Five seconds. <laughs> now some of you have heard of Bear Bryant who used to coach Alabama. Bear grew up in southern Arkansas at Fordyce down in the Morro Bottoms. And the rumor was that they'd brought a bear around to his school. I don't think it would have been the same bear, but maybe the same owner, I don't know. And he had wrestled that bear and evidently Bear Bryant did a whole lot better than I did. And he got the nickname Bear. They don't call me Bear Manning <laughs> back at that school because the bear won. But nonetheless, it was, a, it was an interesting lesson to me on animal submissiveness. And I've always been thankful. This is a meek bear. And that's, that's the thing I want you to remember. When you read that passage now, you'll think of that old meek bear that got up off of me that day, and you'll get the gist of what that word is saying. Receive with submissiveness the engrafted word that's able to save your souls. Number three, this word will keep you and I doctrinally correct, and that's important. Look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. Paul said to Timothy, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So if we're going to save others, we're going to have to have the truth. We're going to have to have true doctrine. You know, there are all kinds of religious groups right now that go door to door. They do that almost daily. They take their doctrine. They go door to door all over our country, maybe around the world. And you know what? They don't save one soul. They ruin every soul that they, they try to reach because their doctrine's wrong. And if we don't have our doctrine right, we're not going to help other people. So he said, take heed unto yourself. You see, that's how we save ourselves, is giving heed to ourselves. Secondly, take heed unto the doctrine. Because he said, continue in them. In doing this, you'll not only save yourself, you'll save them that hear thee. So if we want to save others, we've got to know what the doctrine is here. Because we can be destroyed, remember, for lack of knowledge. Hosea 4 and 6, this is what happened to Israel. Hosea says there, from the, from the, really from the lips of God, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 
And if you'll remember the Lord's encounter with the Sadducees on one occasion. The Sadducees, unlike the Pharisees, had a lot of religious error. I'm sure the Pharisees did too. But the Sadducees didn't believe in angels, or Sadducees didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spirits. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And they came to the Lord one time with a, you know, with a fictional event here of, of a man that took a wife and he died childless. And of course the law of Moses was that his brother had to raise up children to that, uh, to that sister-in-law that, that was, was childless by, his, by a brother. And he, they went through a story there that uh, here's a woman that had seven husbands. And every one of them died and of course no children left. And their question was in the resurrection whose wife will she be? They thought they really had a hard question for Christ. All seven had her for a wife. Which one will be her husband in the resurrection? You know what Jesus told them? Matthew twenty two twenty nine. He said, You do greatly err, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. Their problem was they didn't know that the resurrection was a reality and that God has the power to raise the dead. He said, You err, not knowing the Scripture or the power of God. So we need this knowledge. We need, a, we need knowledge terribly because a lack of knowledge will destroy us. And this word will supply that and keep us doctrinally correct. Number four, it will help you and I overcome temptation. Here's another blessing from the word. And all of you should recall that when the Lord was baptized, remember, he went into the wilderness. The Spirit led him to the wilderness where he spent 40 days and 40 nights in solitude, praying and fasting. And afterward, of course, after the 40 days expired, he was hungry. Then comes the devil along. He always comes when we're at a weak point. And he came along to Christ and he said, Now if you're the Son of God, you command these stones here that they be made bread. You don't need to worry about walking to some village. You're already weak. You've been fasting. You don't need to be concerned about having to make a long journey for bread or go to someone's house. You're the Son of God. Just... Just command these stones right here to be made bread and you can eat right here. But you see, the Lord knew that that wouldn't be right and He used Scripture to fight off the devil's temptation. And Deuteronomy 8 and 3 is what He quoted. He said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And He fought off that temptation. Then the devil took him to the temple and set him up on a pinnacle, upon a high place. And you know, the devil can quote scripture too. He just misquotes it, misapplies it, misinterprets it. He quoted scripture to Jesus. I guess he saw the Lord was going to quote to him. So he'd just quote scripture back. And the devil knows scripture. It's just that he's dishonest and a liar and he perverts it. And he quoted Psalm 91 to the Lord. Actually, verse 11 and 12. And here's what he told Jesus when he set him up there on the temple. He said, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written. And now he quotes Psalm 91. It is written, he hath given his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. 
In other words, go ahead and jump. The scripture says the angels will catch you. You've got nothing to fear if you're the son of God, like you say you are. Because those angels are right there. They'll never let you hit the ground. Well, Jesus knew the scripture. Deuteronomy, he quotes chapter 6, verse 16, because the devil had given him a verse that conflicted with this one. And God's word never conflicts. But Christ tells him there from Deuteronomy, it is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Don't put God to the test like this, you see. That was not lawful. So that overrode Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12, you see, and contradicted it. And then finally the devil just took him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory of them. He said, I'll give you all these things if you'll just fall down and worship me. That's all you've got to do, and I'll give it all to you. Of course, all of it was Christ anyway. But that was the offer that he made to Jesus. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 20 is where the Lord took Satan, and he told him, it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. I cannot bow down to anyone but God, he says. Him only do I serve. And so you see, he, he fought off all these temptations that the devil tried to, to trap him with there that day because he knew the scripture. And he quoted verses back to Satan. David said in Psalm 119 verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. So that word and the knowledge of it and the obedience to it, you see, will protect us from temptation. Number five, I don't know if you've thought of it this way, but we really can't, we can't have eternal life if we don't know the word because we can't obey Jesus if we don't know his word and what his will is. There are a lot of people that do not obey Christ because they don't know the Word of God. They don't know His will. We read in Hebrews 5, verse 8 and 9, listen now, because your, your eternity is riding upon this. The Bible says of Christ, though He were a son, yet learned He obedience by the things which He suffered, and being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. So he's the author of eternal salvation to who? To all them that obey him. But how can we obey him if we don't know his will? Now let me show you three examples here of things that the Lord demands of you and I as Christians that we cannot obey without studying the Bible and without knowing the Bible. One of them is Matthew 19 or Matthew chapter 28, I should say, verse 19 and 20. The Great Commission, we call it. Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, first of all, we can't teach somebody and, and, and lead them to being baptized if we don't know the Word, can we? And we won't know that without study. But look at the second part of that. 
He says, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Now, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty crucial commandment there that we're given. How are we going to teach people to observe all things if we don't know all things, or at least as much as we can? See, we couldn't even begin to fulfill that responsibility. Somebody has to study, or we can't teach them to observe all things, can we? There has to be a lot of study for that to happen. Secondly, 1 Peter 3.15, here's another thing the Lord demands of you and I. Peter said, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He said, be ready to give an answer. When somebody asks you about the hope within you, be able to respond to that. Be able to tell them why you have this hope, why you do this or that, why you don't do this or that. You see, and we've got to study in order to know those things to give that answer. You can't obey Jesus without knowing the Scripture. And you can't know the Scripture without study. Number three here, Jude verse three, we're told to contend for the faith. Jude said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We're told to contend for what's in this book. We're to contend for the faith. Now he didn't say to us, be contentious. We can contend without being contentious. We don't have to be obnoxious. We don't have to be a know-it-all or a holier-than-thou. Uh, we don't have to have that kind of, of spirit about us. We can be humble about it but confident, and we can stand up for what's in the Bible, and that's what we're commanded to do. But we can't contend for the faith if we don't know the faith, and that takes study. So you see, we can't possibly obey Christ in any of these matters I've shown you here, just these three, without a knowledge of God's Word, and we can't get that knowledge without study. And remember, if we don't obey Christ, He's the eternal He's the author of eternal salvation to them that obey Him. And so our everlasting life, our future, is riding upon our study of the Scriptures. Finally, our study of God's Word prepares us for judgment. That's what prepares us for judgment. There's going to be a test over this book. And not just our knowledge of it, but our obedience to it, of course. In uh, John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So when, when I walk up in front of Christ, this is going to be the standard of judgment that day. When you walk up before Christ, he's going to want to know if you've complied with his word. And of course, we can't comply with what we don't know. And this will trip a lot of people up that day. I believe on the day of judgment that a lot of people will lose their soul because they don't know what's in this book. And I think many on the, on the day of judgment are going to be surprised to learn God demanded things of them they didn't even know. And He 
asked them to refrain from things they didn't even know were displeasing to him because they didn't study. They listened to some religious leader of some kind, some teacher, but he never taught them very much, and they really don't know what's in the Bible. I studied with a man one time down in South Texas. He was 70 years old, and I set in to do the first study in a five-part series with him. And I said to the old gentleman, I said, would you turn to Genesis 1 and verse 1? He couldn't find it. He was 70 years old and gone to church all of his life, but he couldn't find the first verse in the Bible. He had not a clue where Genesis 1 and 1 was. I find that amazing. I'm sure there's going to be several people like that on the Day of Judgment. And probably many others that know a little bit about the Bible, but very little. And they're going to expect to go to heaven. And so they're going to come before Christ. And Jesus talked about the plea some of them will make in Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. He said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now these were religious people, and they will urge salvation upon the Lord. They will beg and bleed for it based upon the fact that they prophesied in Christ's name and, and they did many wonderful works in His name and cast out devils in His name. In other words, they were familiar with His name. But Jesus will simply tell them, I don't even know you. And we learn in verse 21 that we've got to do the will of the Father to enter heaven. And they didn't do the will of God. And likely because maybe they didn't know what the will of God was because they hadn't studied. You see, our eternal destiny depends upon our knowledge and obedience to this word. It just does. And you remember that touching scene there in Acts 20 when Paul met with the elders from Ephesus. And he gave them all kinds of admonition and commandments telling them to watch and warning them of false teachers that were coming into the church there in Ephesus. And finally in verse 32 of Acts 20, as they kneeled down and, and they prayed together and wept on that shore, G, uh, Paul told them, Now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So this word will build us up and give us an inheritance. And it's, it's so critical that we become good students of it. I commend you in this congregation for your desire to study and learn God's Word and for the growth and progress that, that's being made here. I, I really appreciate and admire that. It's wonderful. Let's keep it up. And uh, let's become good students of it, and let's have that reputation that we're known as a people that knows the book. I venture to say this is a, a well-taught congregation, maybe 
as good as there is in this area as far as the way that we've been taught. We really have studied, haven't we? But let's keep that up because we'll need to do that the rest of our days. There'll never come a time we don't need to study. I hope the lesson's been, been valuable to you, profitable in some way, and encouraging to you. If there's anyone here today that should need the Lord for any reason, we're not in a hurry, and you're welcome to come at the invitation song and make those desires known to us. You may desire baptism. You may desire prayers for some reason or, or just want to talk. Maybe you just got burdens and you just need to sit and talk or arrange a time to study. If you've got some kind of need like that, this is a good time to make that known. And we give you that invitation to come as we all rise and sing the song select. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.